Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes, and I hope you are excited about that, that very fact. I remember what the other announcement was that I was going to, to make. Uh, at this very moment, down in Houston, Texas, at uh, Sweet Home Missionary Baptist Church, uh, the extension of our seminary is having a graduation, and they are graduating four students uh, at this very moment. I've asked them to send pictures, so maybe next week we'll have pictures to show, but uh, as many of you know, we have a seminary attached to our, our uh, church, and that seminary has an extension down in Houston, Texas, and we're just delighted uh, for those, those four students who've studied hard, one's earning their Bachelor of Biblical Studies, and then we have three that have earned Master of Divinity degrees. So we're excited for them, and so we uh, congratulate those uh, down in, in Houston, Texas. Well, this morning I want us to talk about the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen? And we would all probably argue or could argue that we are actually the chief. But it was the Apostle Paul who labeled himself as the chief as he went about slaughtering believers, uh, hauling them into to jail uh, and into prison and the persecution that came because, because of that. Well, the Bible is very clear that God was going to send the Savior to save those sinners. Amen? In other words, save us. See, the Bible says that the Messiah was going to be born. And guess what? The Messiah was born. The Bible says that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer of the world, was going to die. And guess what? He died. The Bible also says that the Savior is coming again. And guess what? He's going to come again. God's Word guarantees that. And just as surely as He came the first time, He is going to come again. But the next time He comes in the air, it's going to be for the church, the body of Christ, us. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Then we know from Scripture that there's going to be that seven-year tribulation period, the day of the Lord, the day of God's fierce wrath is going to be poured out during that seven-year period. And then Christ is coming back to establish His throne on earth. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. God's Word has been true each and every time. God's Word was true where He was going to be born. Remember, we talked about that last week. We talked about not only does it, God's Word tell us where He's going to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2, but according to Micah 4.8, where in Bethlehem He's going to be born at the flock tower at that special tower where the shepherds guarded those ewes, those special sheep, 
that were going to be giving birth to those special lambs that were to be used for the sacrificial, uh, the, the sacrifices in the temple. And there was a flock tower where the shepherds would watch those youths giving birth. They would go and bring those sheep into the flock tower. They'd give birth. Those lambs would be born that were destined for the temple sacrifice, those that were without spot, without blemish. And the shepherds would wrap these sacrificial lambs in swaddling cloths so they wouldn't injure themselves. So that's why the angels told the shepherds, this shall be a sign for you. Assigned to you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. A sign that the shepherds understood because he was the spotless Lamb of God. The typology there is overwhelming. God's word is so true. God's word wants us to understand that because God said it was going to happen here, it happened here. God's word said it was going to happen in this way, it happened in this way. And the purpose of these sermons over the next few weeks is to show that God's Word is accurate, God's Word is true, it gives us reasons to believe in God's precious Word and not doubt it at all. My, I encourage you, don't doubt it, study it. Because the truth is there. No need to apologize. I am a Bible believer. And I don't apologize for that. Because it's true. And not only has God's Word told us where, but God's Word tells us when. When He was to be born. So that leaves mankind really without an excuse. And the when He was going to be born, it is just so glorious and wonderful, but just like where was a type when is also a type, again, proving to the accuracy and the legitimacy of the Word of God. So it just makes it fun to study, and you find these golden nuggets, and it's just glorious. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So guess what happened? A virgin conceived. She bore a son. And they called his name Emmanuel. The Bible is true. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Did that happen? Absolutely. Unto us a son is given. Did that occur? Absolutely. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. You can take it to the bank. That's going to happen. Just as the other happened, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this folks you can take these truths to the bank it's going to happen that's god's word now 
as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we are going to choose this God to believe and to worship because He is the true God. His Word bears all that out. There's no room, there's no reason to doubt God's Word. What God has said He was going to do, He has done. What God has said He's going to do, He will do. And my advice to everyone is get ready. Get ready. Because I am convinced we are living in the last days. Quite frankly, well... Not gonna, I'm not going to say, I wonder if this is not the last Christmas. I'm not going to say it. I don't even want to go there. But speaking of that, did you guys see the building, I mean the, the uh, monument, uh, the statue that the United Nations put up in the square surrounding the United Nations? Did anybody see that picture? How many of you saw that picture? No, I, yeah, I didn't. I, 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 I did. Uh, Charles, if you got on your, or Jill, send that back there to Tim, and at the end, uh, we'll uh, we'll show it. Basically, what it is is a description in Revelation thirteen one and in Daniel of the beast. What, and and they they think they're fooling us. They're not fooling us. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I I was just so disgusted. I was just. <clears throat> How can, can you be disgusted and thrilled at the same time? Can you be disgusted and say, how evil, how, how flaunting can mankind be? And then, oh, yeah, Lord, you're returning. This, they're, they're not even trying to hide anymore what their intent is. I knew Jill would have it. What God's Word says is going to happen is going to happen. And this time of year, we get the opportunity to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And I say we do that. The angels celebrated it. We get a chance to celebrate. The world's attention is turned, is focused on that babe in the manger. So we make sure that we take their attention that's focused on the baby in the manger and we show them the man of the cross. And we take them from the cross and we show them that the tomb is empty. We use it as an opportunity as they talk about baby Jesus. We tell them about that baby Jesus who became Christ Jesus, the Lord of all, and that he lives and he offers himself as their Savior. What an opportunity. The world's attention is focused on it. Let's take advantage of that and let's share the truth of God's word. And then let's give them reasons to believe because we can show them in Scripture exactly when the Lord was to be born. Now, I've got to share something with you. It delights a pastor's heart to be talking to someone and they, and, and this happens, you guys do this for me all the time, um, but this past Sunday as I was at the door shaking hands, uh, Katie Erickson and Steve Erickson were leaving, and uh, uh, we were talking about when the Lord was going to come, and, and she said, well, you just go to Daniel chapter 9, and, and it tells you that 
uh, Daniel's 70th weeks, and, and it tells you when to start counting, and from the time Nehemiah says to build the temple, and, and how many, yeah, there it is. You know what that says to me? It, at the United Nations building, people get ready. If you're not saved, get saved. If you don't know the Lord Jesus is your Savior, hurry up. Because that's a flaunting in the face of the church, the body of Christ today. It's, it is a challenge. I look at that as a challenge. That's in New York City. Just statue just erected. But anyway, as Katie was tell, uh, telling me about how in, in uh, Daniel chapter 9, it talks about Daniel's 70th week, and it, and it told Israel when to, from, from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild the temple to the time that the Messiah was going to die was X number of years. And it's, it's all there. And, and you can go and figure it up. And then God's word is very clear in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, that how old Christ was when he started his ministry. He was 30. Yeah, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So you just kind of backtrack, and that tells you when he's going to be born. And I'm no mathematician, so if, I'm going to leave it to somebody else to go in and figure all the intricacies up of that. But God's Word is not trying to hide anything. God's Word is saying, you want a challenge? I challenge you. Here's the truth of it. We're not hiding anything. I'm telling you when the Messiah is going to be crucified. I'm telling you how old he is when he's going to be crucified. Therefore, how old he is when he's going, when he'll be born. You just count backwards. See, the Bible is not trying to hide anything. It is so obvious, including where and when. When he was going to be born. The accuracy and the legitimacy of the Scripture is highlighted when we examine God's Word. And the neat thing about God's Word is, we're on that topic for a second, is just, there's just the thread from Genesis through Revelation that you can challenge it, but you're going to lose. There's, a, there's that thread that weaves through centuries of praise and rebellion of faithfulness and rejection, of success and failure. And, and it's there for us to study. And when you stop and you think about the fact that the Word of God is 66 books written over about a 2,000-year period by 45 different individuals as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and that those 25 years actually covers 4,000 years. And the thread, the theme, the purpose, the accuracy, it is there. You show me any other book, any other book that has that type of accuracy. And the reason is because it's alive. It is the Word of God. God protects it. It's, it. It is a miracle. And that includes when our Lord was born. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. 
John chapter 1, verse 14. This is the key to understanding it as we get into this amazing truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word of God was made flesh. That's God incarnate. Who is the Word? The Lord Jesus. Look at verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 tells us, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there is can be translated tabernacled. The Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? It would be glorious, wouldn't it? It would be something else if we can show from Scripture that the birth of our Lord actually happened on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles? If all the things in the Scripture... By the way, we know that the Lord was not born on December the 25th. But since that's when the world focuses on it, we're going to celebrate that time also. Because there's a reason to celebrate. I'm going to get that in a second. Because just as the Scriptures point to when our Lord was born on September the 29th, something else occurred September the 25th using the same, uh, same reasoning, the same Scripture. And actually, what takes place on December the 25th is even more miraculous. Well, I'm not going to hesitate to tell you. That December the 25th is when the conception took place. When a virgin conceived. That's the real miracle. The birth of Christ, which took place, I believe, September the 29th from the Scripture, that was a normal birth. The glorious, wonderful miracle took place on December the 25th. The birth toward the end of September, which is the beginning, the first day, and it lasts a week, was the Feast of Trumpets, I mean the Feast of Tabernacle. And God's Word says and He's going to come and tabernacle. The whole typology, the whole, uh, everything points just as, just as Christ the typology of the Passover and Him dying on Passover, Him being born when it says He's going to come and tabernacle with us. All of that is there to give proof for us to say, wow, God's Word is spectacular. God's Word is wonderful. See, it's one thing to say that. It's another thing to be able to take the Scriptures and say, here, here's how you reason. Here's how you go and you come to that conclusion. Because it is pretty wonderful. The Feast of Tabernacles actually is called the season of our joy. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles. It was initiated so that all of the nation of Israel, when they go into the wilderness, they were trusting God, that He was manifested in their presence, that He was dwelling in the tabernacle. And the Feast of Tabernacle had them setting up these booths and living temporarily in these booths knowing that God is going to come and tabernacle and he is going to dwell in their midst and every time they celebrated that they were celebrating the fact that the Messiah that God himself is going to be with them 
Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and tabernacled among us. Exactly what the Feast of Tabernacles points to. His presence in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, in the wilderness God's abiding presence is what that was all about. Turn with me to Luke. Luke chapter 1. How do you know that, Pastor? How, how, can, you, how can you be so sure that that is, that's the date? Look at Luke chapter 1. Starting with verse 5. It has to do with the birth of John the Baptist. It has everything to do with Zacharias and Elizabeth and the timing that God's word is very clear when uh, John the Baptist was born, the forerunner of Christ. And there, were, and there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while, in, while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, which is Abiah, Lord just told us that, According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and while, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. Now, people read that and go, oh, okay, let's get on to the more exciting part. I can't tell you how exciting that is, how wonderful that part is. It tells us, that Zacharias was the priest after the order of Abiah. So when would he be officiating and carrying out his duties of a priest in the tabernacle? That's key. That's a clue. Wouldn't it be something if God's Word told us exactly when that order was to take place? Well, it does. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 24. 1 Chronicles chapter 24. These are the divisions of the sons of Aaron and their order of service. And it lists all of them. I'll start with verse 7. Now the first lot came forth to Horeb, the second to Jedah, Jediah, the third to Hiram, the fourth to Seosharim, the fifth to Malachi, and the sixth to that name, and the seventh to Hakaz, and the eighth to Abiah. Wow, so the eighth is to the order of Abiah. And they would divide them up, and we just know from history what that, how that order started on the day of Pentecost, uh, or the day of Passover, and how it would, how it would work when they observed after observing Passover. 
Well, it just turns out that the order of Abia takes place around June the 13th through the 19th. They'd serve a week. June the 13th to the 19th is when Zacharias would be in the temple carrying out his duties. That's important. We know when the course of Abia takes place in June 13th through the 19th. So as he's doing that, what's going to happen? Look at verse 11 of Luke chapter 1. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fell, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit of power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. So that was a promise to Zacharias that your wife, Elizabeth, you're well stricken in age, they'd pretty well given up, but we find that Zacharias was still praying. Lord, I want a son. I want my wife to have a baby. And what's going to happen? And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I'm Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. I bet he did. Your wife's going to have a baby. You're going to have a child. He didn't hang around the temple. He headed for home. In order so this promise could be fulfilled. Do you hear me? He didn't delay. He was trusting God. So that is going, the conception of John the Baptist, you can pretty much be sure, after the 19th, he skedaddled. He went home to be with his wife. So sometime around June the 20th to the 24th, Elizabeth is going to conceive. And how many months does it take a baby to be born? Nine, right? So we know that, that 
John the Baptist is going to be conceived around June the 24th or so. And, and that's, that piece of information is great, but if it told us how much after this that it, Mary was going to conceive, that would even be more glorious, wouldn't it? Then we'd be able to say, wow, we, we know that John the Baptist was conceived around June the 24th, and you figure out nine months, and that's going to make it around my birthday, around March something, March 24th through the 28th, something like that. But if we find out that Mary conceived with Jesus six months later, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's, that sounds to me as if the Bible wants us to know something. Look at verse 24 of Luke 1. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked to me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Nazareth named, Mary, uh, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Um, what's another word for favor? Grace. And grace is unmerited favor. So this tells us Mary was not perfect, that Mary was a sinner saved by God's grace. She had, she had to find favor with God, and she did. For behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And again, I am no mathematician. But if it's the last part of Jude, then the last part of July, the last part of August, the last part of September, the last part of October, the last part of November, and the last part of December is six months. Six months. What is the last part of December? If it's June the 24th, it's going to be around December the 25th that Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. What a delightful, what a glorious thing to celebrate, for that is the miracle. So if you then go from December the 25th 
and you start counting nine months, because I really believe it was December the 25th. What other, what other special holiday is celebrated on December 25th? Can any, and, and I know there are a lot of pagan connections. I know that type of thing. But I'm telling you, Satan's a counterfeiter. Satan loves to counterfeit. Satan loves to take what God is doing and has done, and he tries to make it into a lie. You ever wondered why there's a Santa Claus connected with Christmas? You ever wondered why there's an Easter bunny connected to Resurrection Sunday? I don't wonder about that. Let's distract. Let's distract from, from the truth of what God is doing. So you got the end of December, then you have January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. And what's in September? The last part of September. It's the Feast of the Tabernacle. That's when we ought to be celebrating the birth of Christ. But, but since the world don't celebrate it then, they might think we're a little crazy. Er. So it's okay to celebrate now. Because what we're really celebrating is the glorious miracle of the conception of our Lord's miraculous conception. Not the immaculate conception, by the way, folks. <laughs> uh, Mary was not perfect. We're talking about the miraculous conception of, uh, of Mary by the Holy Spirit where Christ was conceived. That And the Word was made flesh. I read that to think that the moment Christ was conceived, the Word was made flesh. That's one of the reasons I believe that life begins at conception and why I'm so opposed to abortion, that that's when life begins. That the Word of God was made flesh, and He tabernacled among us. Oh, Hanukkah. That's what I was going to, whichever. Uh, I knew I didn't want to leave that out. Hanukkah is a Jewish feast day. The whole story of Hanukkah, even though it's not scriptural, it did pertain to Israel. We have the whole story of, the, of Judah Maccabee and their, their, their revolt against uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and, and how he was trying to destroy the nation of Israel or destroy their religious practices. And he was trying to exercise. He was from Syria. He was the king of Syria. Uh, it, he was, it was a, a horrible time. And if... Uh, he's the one that went into the temple and sacrificed a, a pig on the altar and just did all sorts of disgusting things. Well, it was the Maccabees that revolted against that and fought. And these, these bunch of Jewish farmers, these bunch of Jewish men fought against that and won. And they went and then rededicated the temple. And one of the things that they were going to do to rededicate the temple is they wanted they they cleansed the temple and after they cast all of them out and they they cleansed it and and they wanted to relight the menorah the candle and they only had enough oil for one day and that oil supposedly lasted 
eight days until more could be purified. And so that's, the, that's the, called the Feast of Lights. It's called the Feast of Dedication. Uh, Hanukkah is how the secular Jews refer to it today. But what's interesting about that is guess who celebrated the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus celebrated that. Look at John chapter 10. That's when people say, well, the Lord doesn't want you celebrating these days. He did. He, he celebrated what, what occurred on December the 25th. That's when Hanukkah usually uh, takes place, there and about, there about. But look at John 10, verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came in the Jews round about him and said unto them, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. I told you. So he was there at the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Lights, at Hanukkah. And it was there that he's making sure they understood that he is the Savior of the world. He makes it obvious. Folks, it's this time of the year that the world, world's attention is turned to Christ. May we not hesitate, number one, to celebrate with them the birth of Christ. And may we not hesitate to tell them why we celebrate, what it means, the fact that in this day, on this day in the city of David, is born a Savior, that He can be their Savior. Amen? If you don't know this God who loves you so much, if you've not had a moment in your life when you said, Lord, I believe, I encourage you to do that right now. To believe that Christ died for your sins. That he was buried for you and he rose again. And the Bible just is so plain, simple, and it puts the truth forward. It's there for us to study so that there are no doubts that the claims he made are true and accurate. And he claimed that he came into the world to save sinners. And that includes you. Amen.